Welcome to a News Laundry podcast. This is Global Summits. Where are we going? Hi, I'm Birad Swain, and this is News Laundry podcast. Global Summits. Where are we going? First, wish you all a very happy New Year, happy and healthy 2016, to all our listeners and our panelists and everybody in this room. And there's quite a few people here, and. Let me also wish you something which I heard from an Irish friend, which I think is the most powerful wish I have ever known. May the best of your past be the worst of your future. Not everything that can be counted counts. Not everything that counts can be counted. Said who? Albert Einstein. But counting matters. What we measure affects what we do, and if our measurements are flawed, decisions may be distorted. If metrics of performance are flawed. So too may be inferences we draw," said the iconic trio economists Joseph Stiglitz, Jean-Paul Fitossi, and Amartya Sen in their report to the French President Nicolas Sarkozy in 2009. We'll provide the link. Today we are discussing data revolution for sustainable development. Why? Well, because the buzz and investments on data mobilization for development is increasing. As we are talking, the indicators for new set of global goals is being finalized. As we are talking, uh, Indian Meteorology Department has dropped the word drought in a year when 302 out of 630 districts are actually reeling under drought. As we are talking, the National Crimes Record Bureau in India is slaughtering suicide data by making definition changes, bringing first-time distinction between farmers and agricultural laborers. As we are talking, these are everyday realities, our living realities, our stories. Which is why the topic today we shall discuss: Why should we care about data revolution for sustainable development? What does it even mean for you and me? We have a panelist who actually coordinated the high-level panel on data revolution set up by the United Nations. So we'll hear from her the big messages of the panel, take an update on what is the latest on indicators front for SDGs, take stock of the status of statistical capacities and autonomy of statistical commissions in India and other countries, understand who is actually paying for all this data. I mean, where is the financing going to come from? We can keep obsessing about data, but what about the money? Discuss if data revolution is at all possible when transparency, sunshine laws are rescinding. We'll discuss the trend of Indian government of censoring inconvenient public service, and trust me, there are quite a few. We'll come to that. Is it just Indian or other countries are also censoring inconvenient public service? And finally, the road ahead. What should we be doing for citizens to be claiming the statistics and data as a public good? We'll hear on the road ahead from our panelists. We have a packed agenda and a full house of kick-ass panelists. But before I bring in the panelists, please remember, programs like this are possible because of independent media. When corporates pay, corporates' agenda is served. When people pay, your agenda is served. Please support independent media. Please support News Laundry. Help us to keep news free. Full disclosure. I am not agnostic on this issue. I have written on this and been part of global campaigns on data and accountability. I have a position for democratizing data, reclaiming statistics as a public good. Hence, we have taken extra care to pick a panel of extremely credible and big names with massive footprint on this issue, so that my opinions are not reflected in this explainer episode. Let's bring in the panelists now. Claire Melamed, 
Head of Growth and Inequality Program at the Overseas Development Institute, United Kingdom. She also coordinated the United Nations Secretary General's High-Level Panel on Data Revolution, also known as the International Expert Advisory Group. And we continue to keep our promise of breaking the menace of all male panels with Claire today. Welcome to the show, Claire. She's joining us from London via Skype. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. It's great to be here. Dr. A.R. Nanda, Excel Secretary, Government of India, Ex-Executive Director, Population Foundation of India, currently Vice Chair, Coalition for Food and Nutrition Security. He, but more importantly, he has actually operationalized not one, not two, but three censuses. And as we know, Indian census exercise is supposed to be the largest exercise in the world, considering it covers everyone. I'm, I'm told it seems BBC actually said that it's larger than China. Um, I'm not so sure about that. Probably Dr. Nanda will say that. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nanda. Thank you. Govindraj Ethiraj, financial journalist and founder and managing trustee of IndiaSpend.com, India's first data journalism come public interest journalism platform, and founder of Fact Checker In. And considering we are living in times when comedians are being more fact checked than journalists, Govindraj's initiative on fact check could not have come earlier. He's joining us via phone from Bombay. Welcome, welcome to the show, Govind. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Professor Ramanan Lakshmi Narayanan, Vice President of Research and Policy at the Public Health Foundation of India. He's got a tremendously impressive uh, uh, CV, so I'm not going to talk about all that. Among many things, he's also a lecturer and research scholar at Princeton University, and he eats, lives, and breathes data. Welcome, Ramanan. Pleasure to be here. Finally, Rakesh Dubudu. Pro-disclosure champion, right-to-information activist, and founder of Factly India, a platform dedicated to make sense of public data. He's joining us from Hyderabad via phone. Welcome, Rakesh. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So data deficit was the constant refrain when the last set of global goals were in vogue. In a disparate world from Burkina Faso to India to United States, we have different data capacities and status. Even countries like India with good statistical system and capacity will have serious data issues. Open Society fellow Evgeny Morozov has written a brilliant piece in Guardian, and we are going to be providing a link for that, on the new data fetish. He calls the rise of data as the death of politics. What is data revolution for sustainable development, and why should we care? Claire, will you go first? Absolutely, with great pleasure. Um, so, as, as you very kindly just said, I um, have recently led a UN panel on the data revolution. And of course, one of the first things, as would always happen if you get a room full of experts together, um, that we did was to debate whether indeed there is a data revolution, and if so, what is it? Um, the, the very strong conclusion of the panel was that there is a data revolution that's already happening. The point is not for us to think now about how can we create a data revolution. The, um, you know, we're seeing it all around us every time we use our smartphones, every time we um, engage with any of the kinds of data journalism, open data platforms that I know a lot of your other panelists have been you know, leaders on for, for many years. So there is already a data revolution happening. And I think it's a combination of two things. First of all, much greater demand for data. You know, people, and this is a fantastic development, I think, are really waking up to, you know, citizens are waking up to the 
way in which having more data can help them to demand accountability from their governments and other bodies and really see what's happening in the world. And governments themselves are also understanding much more what are the possibilities that are opening up around data and what data can do for them. So there's a, huge, there's a much bigger demand for data. It's coincided, not coincidentally, with a much greater supply of data. You know, we hear all the time about big data and the kind of huge, huge amounts of data that are washing around the world every day as people use their mobile phones and so on. And that's not just, you know, it's partly this excitement and glamour around big data. It's partly the consequence of, you know, years, decades of painstaking investment in statistical systems and others that really mean that we have a solid bedrock of more traditional data as well. So we have a big increase in supply, a big increase in demand that's leading to all kinds of new exciting opportunities. But of course, and this was the other big message of the panel, they are, as always, very unevenly distributed. So while there are, you know, some governments, many companies and some citizens who are fully in this data revolution and taking advantage of it, there are others who, for whatever reason, be that lack of resources, lack of interest, lack of education, uh, lack of opportunity, are not. And one of the things that we really need to think about together as a world is to try to prevent this new inequality from opening up between those who are in the data revolution and those who are really watching from the sidelines. Govin? Yeah, go ahead. Um, do you want to say our listeners about what is this data revolution and why should we care? So, um, I'll tell you, I mean, why India Spend was started and that perhaps is yes. answering the question very quickly. I mean, our whole objective is to improve the quality of public discourse. And the way we want to do it is to introduce data into the whole equation, uh, equation of policy, equation of policy and public discourse, equation of people's response to public and public policy, and and so on. So the whole pre uh, the premise was that if uh, there are so many issues that we care about deeply, particularly in the areas of uh, education, healthcare, gender, environment, so on. But if we want to take um, uh, or have rational responses to or questions about uh, issues surrounding these areas, then we need to uh, combine the emotion that comes naturally to us with some data. And if we do that effectively, or to some extent, if we achieve a good blend of emotion and data, then potentially you would have uh, good questions being asked of those who govern us, and uh, also hopefully ensuring better accountability, and thus ensuring better governance in, 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 in our country and in our lives. So that's I would say is really why data matters, uh, uh, particularly now than ever before. It also combines with the fact that um, increasingly citizens, uh, citizens are self-aware about playing a role in uh, asking or demanding better governance and better accountability. And therefore, uh, one, like I said, most an important element or uh, component of that response is data, which, of course, only when combined with emotion uh, would have the right groundswell. Ramanan? Uh, I mean, we live in an interesting time, and I think, uh, you know, historically, data has been what is called a public good, which means that uh, only governments would invest in data because it was never worthwhile for any individual to invest in data because the benefits of data, particularly for, for the public benefit, accrue to everybody. So why would anyone produce data any more than any single individual would try to improve air quality or, you know, try to provide national defense? So it was in that very unique space. But the democratization of data that has happened 
you know, obviously largely because of electronics and, and, and the internet, has made it possible for large-scale data to be generated very cheaply in the hands of private corporations, citizens, you know, any, everyone has the ability to both generate data as well as to do something with it. In fact, you know, you've probably seen this great quote, which is, you know, 100 years ago, everyone wanted to write in their diary and were mad if no one read what was, in, I mean, if someone read what was in their diary. But today, everyone puts that diary up on the internet and is mad if nobody reads it. So, you know, so things have changed quite a bit with respect to production of, of, of information of that sort. But that is both a opportunity because we have the ability to mine this uh, and and see a bigger picture than if it were just you know censuses or things that were controlled by governments. But there's also a challenge because uh, of the sheer volume of data that the gatekeepers of who interprets this information to come out with uh, you know conclusions that are meaningful that is also now widely you know democratized. And that has advantages because you know governments can no longer get away with sort of defining what the answer is because everyone else has answers as well. But there's also confusion in the marketplace, and that that can be a problem. Dr. Nanda. Yeah, I think I agree with uh, all the panelists who have spoken before me that there is a data revolution, and this is just not data revolution; it is data and information, both revolution because. Data is also is a backup for the information. And information is more important in the context of whether it is public policy and also for other, other affairs which affect the citizens, which affect the, the, the producers of, of uh, uh, you know, in different sectors. It affects uh, even the so-called vested interests, whether the market. So uh, the, the, uh, this revolution is on, but only the question is, as has been very rightly said, is the inequity that is going on, the inequity of access to the data, as well as the lack of equity in terms of the capacity to come for quality, to maintain quality, and come for quality data and information. So that's very important. Otherwise, it will be all hotspots of a lot of information, a lot of data. Maybe there will be some, something out of that which will be available. But then that would need more efforts at sort of uh, regulating, curating, about which I think maybe we'll, we'll talk. talk later. Prakash, you. you are in the unique yeah. position of being an RTI activist, a sunshine champion and disclosure activist. Um, tell us why should we care? Yeah, I kind of go with all the other co-panelists, but more importantly, I think I'll also um, briefly tell about why faculty was started. So most of the data that we talked about uh, today or you know, even in the last few years has largely been in the academic and research circle. Right. So if you go to common man on the road, you know, people Absolutely. don't care about data because, uh. because it's those people who sit in, you know, uh, higher ups, talk about policy, you know, work on this analysis. So one of the reasons I think the data is more talked about now because common people have started understanding the importance of it. Uh, one, it is easily accessible. I'm not saying to everybody, but at least people who are ready to access it. And uh, secondly, like uh, the other panelists were saying, I think we we are uh, we're not doing justice if we are only talking about data. Data is just a subset of you know larger information. I believe the greater demand for information is also driving this revolution. So if you go to you know grassroots people who don't have access to internet. Uh, especially after loss like the right to information, 
there is greater demand for information i think greater demand for information drives greater demand for data and uh, thus like i said you know data revolution for so i i believe the common has has a greater role to play like unlike the history where it was just in the uh, you know a privilege of you had access to this and used to discuss this. thank you when the la latest five year plan that is the 12th five year plan document was being written in india they had uh, unprecedented civil society consultation something much similar to the sustainable development goal where there was also a lot of consultations one of the good things that the five year plan said which unfortunately even the civil society or the journalists did not latch on to is that the agricultural indicators are colonial and archaic and that they really need to be changed that would have been such a fantastic activism agenda but it still is yet to be latched on thanks to or rather sadly and unfortunately considering the year of 2015 has been a year where all kinds of weather irregularities has actually given a body blow to indian agriculture now we are talking about drought indicators and one of the interesting things that one of our panelists in the last episode ajay veer jhakar in farmers forum meeting did say was that when we declare a district as drought affected we need 33% minimum of a block to be having crops wasted for the district to be declared to be drought affected thought experiment have we ever asked a mercedes benz owner has any insurance company ever asked a mercedes benz owner before honoring their claims um, application that our 33% mercedes benz in that entire district are banned up so why this inequity when it comes to indicators number 1 and how indicators are treated so um claire i understand right now this is the new set of global goals uh, uh being going through this uh, motion of the indicators being uh, finalized and by april we'll have indicators and i understand the standard guideline is that no single um output can have more than two indicators so we i already have uh 169 targets which means we are talking about 340 indicators i don't know if any country has that kind of standardized capacity for generating 340 indicators to track for the over the next 15 years can you give us a quick update to our listeners and everybody else in this room about uh, where, where are we at the on the indicator setting exercise sure um you're exactly right that is where we are at so we have the 17 goals we have the 169 targets and we're in the final stages of preparing a first technical draft of um the indicators that will be used to track progress on those targets which is the bit really where the goals will start to make a difference um which is the bit that governments as you say are going to have to invest in collecting all of this data um for the indicators that are finally agreed and i think many of them are worried um about whether or not they can they're going to have the ability to do that and that is leading i imagine to some pretty tough um negotiations between the national statistics offices of many countries and the ministry of finance about the resources that are going to be needed to actually collect all of that data um of course indicator setting is both a technical exercise and a political exercise at the moment we're in the technical phase where the statisticians are going to advise on 
what they think are the best set of indicators to track all of the different goals and targets that have been agreed. But the politicians also still have to agree it, um, and that will happen in September at the next UN General Assembly. Um, and it is possible, though not certain, that there might be a certain amount of politics taking place between the technical um, technical agreement of the indicators and the political agreement and that's certainly something for those of your listeners who are really tracking this process and, and interested I think that's something for activists to watch out for. Um, for our listeners uh, the uh, exercise is being anchored by Ministry of External Affairs think tank RIES Research and Information Systems for South-South Collaboration and if you remember we had Professor Sachin Chaturvedi the Director General of RIES in two of our episodes He's basically anchoring this show. And I think today I have actually lined up the best minds on data. So let's listen if anybody has been approached by RIS for this indicator setting exercise. Uh, Dr. Nanda, have you been approached? Uh, well, I have not be yet been approached. I am working from the civil society side, but that's a different story. No, no, uh, the consultations are also supposed to be have, I, I uh, know, but be I, done with civil society, not just technocrats okay, and, so as, as Rakesh said, ivory tower statisticians. I know, but not as a, a specialist in data operation, data collection. I have got an invitation, but I am very much part of the civil society uh, which is uh, observing and, and trying to build their opinions into this. Uh, Ramanan, have you been approached? No, I'm not part of that. Uh, Sachin, if you are listening, these are the people you should actually be calling immediately for your next consultation. Ramanan, have you been approached? No, I'm not. Yeah, but do, uh, is this an exercise that you would be interested to be part of, the SDG indicator setting exercise from India side? Very much so, yeah. Um, Govind, uh, you know, uh, in New York, during the SDG summit, I was there, and one of the things that UN women told us is that safe spaces, considering especially after the Nirbhaya gang rape, public, safe public spaces and public lighting as an indicator faced massive resistance to accept that as an indicator. And considering Rakesh is also talking that let's take data out of the statistician's remit and the economist's remit and all. Um, have you, or Rakesh, have, have you been approached by the RIS on this indicator setting exercise? Or is this something that you think journalists should not be part of? Uh, that's a, a bit of a trick question. I mean, you know, we'd, we'd love to be part of uh, any survey, but I think uh, it's also whether we have proven capability of uh, either collecting or measuring data or responding to certain things. I mean. We've done work in and around uh, gender and uh, crime against women, but I I'm not sure. I mean, we're you know we're more a media organization. I mean, our uh, real effort is to really take. I, I mean, do research, do stories, and then put it out. Uh, I wouldn't put ourselves in the same play, uh, same position as let's say, uh, uh, like let's say a public uh, health uh, health uh, kind of Foundation, group or yeah. uh, a nonprofit or an NGO that's doing core primary research. Uh, collecting data and so on. So, yeah, I, I would sort of hold my uh, horses there. Rakesh, no, uh, uh, have are, you been approached been or do you know anybody who's been approached? I uh, haven't been approached and I am not aware of anyone. Uh, I kind of go with Govin, but, uh, you know, we're, we're not saying we're subject matter experts in, in any of those entities, but uh, where we can add value, one area where we can add value is is to kind of understand what are the gaps in the existing data collection methodology, you know, even even while deciding indicators, because a lot of times uh, certain indicators don't have uh, good data collection methodologies. 
So we end up collecting, you know, very low quality data, which which will not take us anywhere. So consultations, yes. Uh, I'm not saying in every part of the consultation, but in places where we could add value. So uh, for our listeners, two things. I I I think I as as a moderator prerogative, I genuinely think both Govind and Rakesh should be part of it because it seems right now goal 16 which is about law and order and justice there's a lot of resistance to accept police brutality records of police brutality as a rec indicator but I think living in a country like India or South Asia or even US for that matter I think police brutality is the indicator to be captured uh, you know Biraj, if I can just come in there yeah. you know and whether it's on this specific issue or uh, I mean related gender yeah. issues or let's say even police brutality as you speak of yes. see, we are always open and looking for new sources of information I mean one of the things I mean we do is I'm sure like everyone else is to look at multiple data sets and try and draw corollaries and in some ways try and eliminate errors or eliminate uh, uh, statistical or uh, data collection errors and therefore try and arrive at least at a story which is uh, in, which is credible right so if you're talking about let's say lights not being there and whether that sort of uh, uh, links to uh, safety uh, concerns uh, or uh, and so on i think yeah surely i mean that's a that's something that we would love to look at so uh, this is not to say that we don't want to look at it. I, all, I think all I said was that uh, we are—I mean, we are not equipped to comment on where, what is needed. But if uh, if we get it, and sh I'm sure we can look at it, and surely by looking at four sets, maybe we can think of the fifth set that we could potentially ask for. I think you're being very modest, Govind. I I, I do <laughs> think you can actually comment about how some of these obvious indicators are not being picked up. I mean, Raman, yeah. and you you want to weigh in about. Do you think it should be opened? Anyway, Sachin is a good friend. Sachin, you, you've come on the show not once but twice. If you're listening and we will send a link of the show to you, please reach out to all the four panelists, all the five panelists of my show for this uh, for your next consultation on indicator setting. But don't you think indicator setting should actually have people like Govind and Rakesh to be part of it all? No, absolutely. I think what we need is a revolution in, uh, as Dr. Nanda said, in data interpretation and, uh, and in information the translation of data to information. So you started with a particular question. You asked why it is that one third of the blocks have to uh, be de have a declared, declared drought. The reason for that is simply because crop insurance is intended to protect a farmer against things that are acts of nature and not because they didn't water their crops or they didn't take care of their crops. That is the rationale behind that sort of a thing. Now, if we had, for instance, and this is not a hypothetical example, uh, for instance, one of the ways in which uh, uh, you know NASA justifies the satellites they put up in the air is they're always looking for value of information. There are examples of weather risk that are predicted by satellite data, which we can do, of course, here as well. And if you tied crop insurance to what the satellite data are providing you, then you don't have to go after this one-third district business at all. You just say, I set my benchmarks in this particular way, and if the satellite data shows me that there is evidence of adverse events for crop growing, you provide the insurance payout automatically. Now, we could certainly do a lot more of that kind of work here. The second, I think, as one of the other panelists also mentioned, which is we constantly have to be creative about civil society, academics, checking and questioning the data that come out from yes. so-called official sources. Not just questioning, but also in some cases, providing the data. I'll provide you an example. So for instance, uh, you know, we don't have very good data on, on uh, burden of disease in the country. We don't 
capture this data on a regular basis. Two years ago, uh, the Public Health Foundation set up this partnership with the SRL Labs, which collects lab data from around the country. They process 100,000 tests a day. And with that, we were able to construct. So with that data, I could tell you last month how many people in India have elevated level of, of triglycerides. Or, what you know, is the, in of, normal of, English? Of, uh, of they, they have, uh, you know, uh, the... Uh, so th they have a lot of uh, high proneness to high blood pressure. Yeah. Ah, so they so basically they have uh, yeah uh, cholesterol levels cholesterol. Are, are bad. Uh -huh. So so they might have low levels of of HDL or you know the good cholesterol. Now we can provide that data by being creative about where we go after that data source in a way that will be far more prompt than what can be provided only through government sources. So I think that's where the whole democratization is possible. But that said, I think we're only scratching the surface with respect to how much we can actually translate data that already exist into forms that can be useful for the public, for policymakers, and so forth. And there's a lot of work for all of us to, to curate and to translate that data. Right. I, I think Rakesh is also doing quite a bit of that. Let's talk something Indian, statistical commissions and statistical capacities, and of course, statistical autonomy. Um, I'm told that uh, most of the British colonies, India included, have elaborate statistical systems from NSS to census. We've got some of the best benchmarked exercises. But still many development partners and researchers are complaining on the lack of actionable data. And I mean, Ramanan just shared an example. At the United Nations, when the civil society demanded, and this is interesting for our listeners, when the civil society demanded an observer status in the United Nations Statistical Commission hearing, back in April 2015, actually what was told was that the statistical commissions are property of country governments, not even UN. The UN staff will not get a free pass only because it is happening over there in the UN plaza. Mm -hmm. And civil society was not allowed an observer status either. So considering that, and that there is a funding issue, incapacity of statistical commissions, and now Ramanan has brought in a new angle that we're not doing enough with the already existing data. So what exactly, where do we stand? Give us a status check on India's uh, statistical commission's capacities, financing, and also autonomy, most importantly, autonomy. Well, as uh, I mean, of course, I am not very up, up, up to date Hmm. On, on the official data system, the thinking that is going on. But generally, I can say what I know, having worked in the uh, official statistical system in India for about 45 years, uh, that you see, the, we have, uh, uh, you have mostly these, you know, these are handled by a, uh, some ministries. For example, the entire housing population census is directly under Ministry of Home Affairs. I have worked there and I have seen, of course, there is a law, Census Act, and it gives certain confidentiality to individual information for reasons which are known to everyone. You can't reveal all those information which is collected from individuals, from households, but when it is these have to be useful statistically for public good and or generally for development of even small local area. There is a necessity to involve the data users at various levels. And that's where 
Unfortunately, you know, although they have the system of consulting the data users, but it becomes only a formality for four or five hours meeting before every census. Similarly, I am, you know, there is a consultative committee of uh, experts and some others for the national sample survey. But these are highly restricted type of consultations. It hardly takes into account the wider data users, the wider public and beneficiaries and others. There has to be a mechanism to do it on a continuous basis. And that's where, which is needed to make it more sort of responsive to the data, to the, to the data requirements. And at the same time, the quality and other things can be sort of discussed. Claire, what is the global picture on Statistical Commission's autonomy, capacities and financing? Very, very mixed. Um, I mean, I think the picture that was just painted um, of the situation in India would be recognized by many other countries around the world, and you get wide variation around that. So, um, in particularly many of the um, least developed countries, many African countries, for example, that, that we work with, the picture is pretty bleak. You know, there is a very, very under-resourced um, national statistics offices, very limited technical capacity, and often, you know, uh, limited capacity within civil society to perform the sorts of you know, absolutely essential accountability that, that you've just been describing. So, I mean, I think there are really, there are very real capacity constraints here, which are a part of the, a part of the story, um, but obviously not the whole story. We're also seeing issues around um, political independence and interference, which which are also contributing to some of the problems that we're seeing with data. Govind, do you want to comment yeah. on the capacity and the autonomy? Yeah, I, yeah, a couple of points here. I mean, I, I'm not so qualified to comment on the capacity, but let me, uh, play, you know, define it as a demand supply situation or demand supply problem, if you want to call it that. I think we're still, we're only now beginning to see the demand uh, for good quality information or good quality uh, data, and therefore, let's say, questions being asked about the quality of supply. Now, uh, I mean, this, is, this will always be a tension point bet, uh, between, let's say, citizens and government, I think, in any country. It's not like uh, if you go to, uh, uh, you know, the United States or uh, Western Europe, everyone is happy with uh, the quality of data that they're getting from the government. On the contrary, it's, it's the, the level of uh, frustration can be as high, if not sometimes higher than what we see here. So I think as the supply, as the demand keeps increasing from uh, people like us or uh, others in the system, I think the quality of supply will... Uh, hope, hopefully, but I, I'm still optimistic that it will improve. The second thing is, I think, uh, I mean, it, this is not an RTI discussion, but I think the role of RTI in the overall, uh, in, in bolstering the overall supply of information, at least in India, hmm. uh, though not necessarily through the Statistical Commission route, but the overall supply of quality data is, you can, uh, cannot be discounted. I think, you know, I'll give you an example. I was interviewing uh, the former Planning Commission Chairman, uh, Montek Singh Aluwalia, uh, I think early 2014, and uh, there was some question I asked him about uh, uh, investments in, in investments in states, and he said, you know, here's something that we're doing, and here's some data on projects that are coming up. Uh, then he looked at, uh, he called someone, and he said, okay, but uh, is this information? Uh, where is this information? That guy said, you know, it's, uh, uh, the, you know, it's, it's, we've just put it together. He said, just put it out, because, uh, I'm, and then he looked at me and said, everything, everything uh, that is potentially RTIable should be in public domain. Mm. You know, so, and, and that's not just him. I mean, I think a lot of government departments at the federal and the state level realize that, that 
the more information you put out in public domain, the better it is because otherwise it's a real headache for them. And they've, at least the smart departments, again, federal and state, have figured out that 60 to 70 percent of queries that come in, and I've spent a year in government, so I understand this a little from the other side as well, uh, are really of one or two types. Right. So if you can proactively put information out in public domain, uh, you automatically reduce the headache for yourself and obviously improve citizen uh, uh, sort of uh, 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 access to uh, data and so on. So that's, that's the second part. The third part is uh, obviously there is there are challenges. I mean, you know, so I was part of a, a Reserve Bank of India panel to uh, look at their communication practices, and part of the communication was to do with their uh, database of Indian economy. Uh, this is quite recent, actually, uh, only a few months ago, and uh, I, I can see how much the Reserve Bank itself, uh, which is uh, become become try, becoming a sort of de facto destination for data on the Indian economy, is struggling with this data. You right. know, for instance. When they want to put down uh, data on, let's say, state-wise income and expenditure for all states of India and then onwards, uh -huh. they, they have to write letters to every state and they have to chase them. And you can see when you look at the data, you can see the gaps. Hmm. You can see that some data has come in later, some has come in earlier. So while, uh, while, while this is obviously a challenge and a problem, but you can also, I would also say at the end of the day that whether it's us uh, in civil society or non-profits or media organizations, or even within the government and organization like the Reserve Bank of India, I think a lot of people are putting their minds to it and creating that demand. And I think that should only mean good news. Right. And for can, I just, yes. can, I, can I just come in there a moment? Because yes, I, I think that's some, I mean, I absolutely agree that sharing data and making it public is a really, both it's important in itself and it's a really important part of guaranteeing um, data quality. But that also costs money. I mean, I was talking to a colleague who's been working in the um, National Statistical Office in Liberia. They don't even, until very recently, they didn't even have internet access inside the office. So if they wanted to share data, not with the citizens of Liberia, but even just with each other, they had to load it up onto a memory stick, walk across the office and plug it into their colleague's computer. Um, so, you know, getting that office, for example, up to a stage where they would be able to create a portal and share their data with the citizenry is not just about wanting to do it. It's also very much about having the resources to be able to do it. And all these things cost money. Uh, Claire, uh, that's absolutely right. But I think uh, other than different stages and different uh, uh, responses to different stages, I think both the point that both Govind and you are making and for our listeners, um, Suomoto disclosure is actually one of the indicators that right now civil society activists are also fighting for in the goal which is meant dedicated for transparency and again justice. Raman and you have actually uh, partnered with the government on building the data capacities and do you want to weigh it? So we've done uh, this in a few ways in the public health domain. One is we actively engage on uh, helping improve the health management information system, mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, and here again, we don't necessarily have the kinds of constraints that might exist in Liberia of just not having the infrastructure. That is generally not a problem for us. A problem for us is generally in terms of motivation and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's someone at the very end of the chain whose job it is to be entering data and reporting it up. And unless they can see that what they're reporting up is meaningful to their lives, they are not likely to invest very much time in making sure it's of good quality. What we do do now, and we've done this for the last three years or so, is we provide feedback to states and districts 
to question, for instance, on immunization data, we will send back very specific feedback and say, look, you have reported, for instance, 120% BCG immunization rates. That can't make sense. Last month you reported 20% measles vaccination. This month you're reporting 70%. How does that make sense? Unless, I mean, data is all about, it's not just a bunch of numbers on a computer. It's a conversation. And unless you engage in that conversation on a regular basis between people who are users of the data and people who are suppliers of the data, and that has to happen in a, in a continuous sort of a fashion, you can't get the quality of supply to improve either within the government system, and I have to say, you know, with, uh, there are many parts of the government system that work very well for data, but then there are parts that just do not because of this motivation Do you want issue. to name a few? Oh, of the ones that do not work yeah, for you? Yeah. I think the HMI system uh, is one particular place where, uh, you know, in, it, there are, it, it needs absolute improvement. Yeah. But then again, you're talking about people who you're asking them to do something which it does not have any meaning in their real life to report good quality data, or worse, they could be penalized for telling the truth, right? So uh, if, if you penalize someone by saying you did not vaccinate enough children and therefore you're in trouble, you're not going to likely to get truthful reporting. Yeah, that's also the, the fear of penalty is Absolutely. also something which withholds. Rakesh, I think this is the perfect segue to come to you. Let's talk principal issues now, data accountability and a responsive state, since responsive state is what we're also discussing. India has one of the best sunshine disclosure laws, which was product of people's movement by some of the poorest daily wages wanting to check their daily wage records. The RTI movement was actually led by them. The movement gave birth to some of our best pro-disclosure activists. Rakesh is here on the panel. Delhi Chief Minister is another one, Mr. Arvind Kejriwal. But ever since it has been legislated, it has been up against the concerted resistance of the officialists. Constantly, clauses are being diluted, institutions undermined, even the Whistleblower Protection Act, which was amended recently, has been diluted. Can we talk of any data revolution when the basic concept of freedom of public information and information seeking itself is under attack, Rakesh? Uh, absolutely right, Biraj. Uh, there are quite a few issues to look at. When the act was initially uh, started implementing in 2005, uh, somewhere the state was not ready. Uh, you know, whether capacity-wise, it was not ready. So, you know, even in the initial years when we had asked for information, it, it usually depended on uh, the way the department was structured, the way the data was available. Now, even to this day, we feel some central government departments are far more professional than the state governments, respective state governments. So, the state governments are in shambles. And now, during various consultations to kind of make the proactive disclosure, or not not just the proactive disclosure, but the entire disclosure uh, process easier, uh, a group of the information commissions had actually suggested, why don't you earmark 1 or 2% of your department budget for uh, better data management? In the right. Sense, you know, not just data, but information management. Okay. So governments are not ready. You know, 1 2% for them is, is huge. Now, when this is happening, it is always becoming a demand supply thing. So, when somebody is at it, one, one particular department, there are 10 people who are constantly fighting against it, you see certain improvement. But largely, from the state, there is, there is not a concerted effort to do this. So, you know, in some cases where we have seen the state government departments are in shambles, the format of the data would finally be decided by the one who enters the data into the Excel. So, you know, with that, you can't expect uh, people to make decisions based on that data. And most data in the government now is being used by bureaucrats as a post-mortem than anything else. They just say, you know, this is the percentage of next year, you know, we have to improve this much. But 
since they don't really use data they don't actually uh, think before uh, let's say understanding what kind of data should be put out what kind of data should be collected so since they are not the consumers of the data it it often creates that huge gap so they don't talk to the consumers like us for example like you like me they don't talk to the consumers right. uh, they just they randomly you know put out what they have in mind and collect such data Miraj, uh, can I just uh, yes, yes, Govin. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I said, you know, I was hearing what uh, Ramanan was saying, and I think, I mean, it's fascinating because he's mm-hmm. obviously at the sort of frontier of this in uh, uh, in the health space, and uh, I mean, it, you know, again, I, I go back to the, the 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 I mean, the interaction I had with the Reserve Bank and how they were trying to address this problem by bringing in stakeholders, uh, you know, like data research companies, journalists, uh, economists, and then asking them that, you know, here is what we do today. what do you think we should be doing and can we you know keep meeting once in 3 months to see whether are uh, the quality of data that we are collecting or putting out or the way we are uh, presenting it i mean there are a lot of problems for instance uh, on uh, on the interface uh, right. or the user interface and can that be improved so i think that there is i think there is a important uh, i mean there's obviously a critical need for uh, social society or the consumers of demand, uh, of information or to uh, i mean i'm the intermediary consumers not the final consumers maybe Uh, to sort of interact more real time with the people who are supplying it and for that i think you need more structure so i don't uh, i mean i think you were saying in the beginning that it really doesn't exist in the case of uh, the federal government uh, but i know the reserve bank is very conscious and proactive about it but obviously more people need to right uh, i uh, actually for the both of you rakesh and uh, govind um an interesting anecdote that i heard in uh, orissa is that it seems uh, considering my home state orissa for our listeners keunjhar is the ground zero of base metal deposit in india uh, and keunjhar is also having one of the biggest mining scams just after right after bellari and goa uh, so in uh, it seems all the mining uh, rti applications the disclosure applications most of them are rejected using a section called 4d saying that oh the information is not digitized it will require a uh, disproportionate reallocation of resources from the department to provide this information so it's become almost a vicious cycle a do not digitize b keep the information in a in a method or in a state where even providing it you can make a great case of saying that oh it will take too much of time and resources and hence let's not provide it and reject applications on that i, I think it is section 4d and then there was this one of the reasons always cited by information officers was vexatious uh, most of the applications were rejected on vexatious which i think goes to the heart of the officialist the bureaucracy or at least the frontline bureaucracy not wanting to share information or just this regular state of shambles of information uh, have you heard of uh, stories like that in your uh, course of your work uh, rakesh govind uh, i i i take it viraj it's yeah. actually section 79 not section 4d okay uh, so in fact even this section is misunderstood by a lot of people intentionally so yeah. <laughs> uh, the bureau, uh, so this section does not talk about uh, Uh, withholding information the section only says so if if ever there was a request which would uh, dis- more which than 30 days allocation is proportion to allocation of resources then provide the information in the form it is available they are not asking you to let's say compile or put it in an excel etc so it doesn't ask you to withhold so a lot of times when uh, let's say there are genuine officials who come to us and say there is this problem somebody is asking huge amounts of data which obviously we can't uh, compile so the, the suggestion we give them is see if somebody is interested 
you're always welcome to come to the office inspect all kinds of files and take so this is again a very very misunderstood because uh, you know the in the entire country various states bureaucrats have been using this section 79 uh, as a uh, clause which they can use to reject information or withhold information which it is not and uh, secondly i think uh, to to kind of uh, you know uh, take the other issues where which we were discussing uh, this is the whole issue of uh, one data not matching with the other data it also comes because of uh, uh, for example you know we we in andhra we in telangana we wanted to file a pil on deaths of spurious like the government was not really uh, doing its act so we wanted to we want to court it to intervene now when we looked at ncrb data it's, it's a very strange coincidence that the ncrb data uh, is hardly covering 5 to 6% of what the state police is reporting and ncrb gets the data from the state police so somewhere there is there is fundamentally wrong i believe with the state apparatus uh, while you know central government court and court has is far more professional i believe the root cause of all the issues that we are looking at data is i think the state government if we can build their capacities <laughs> and uh, push them to you know invest Uh, how do you push them it's again you know it's a million dollar question but i think the root of the problem lies there govind no i agree i mean i think uh, i mean most finally i mean i mean india is is about states and states are about districts i mean if you can't get uh, you know good quality data from uh, the, the ground then obviously all your conclusions and uh, all your interpretations will uh, get affected and diluted to that extent so and capacity has to be built there but i mean that's going it is a, it's going to be a long uh, it's going to be a long haul i mean it's uh, you know some states are obviously relatively ahead in that game on their own uh, or maybe because uh, citizens there are proactive as they've been in the last so many years and there are other states which will lag terribly uh, and uh, that's something that we have to i mean we obviously have to work on that and there's nothing there's no uh, you know there's no uh, immediate solution to that Dr Nanda you were agreeing vigorously when Rakesh was speaking yeah i agree i mean we uh, we know the state uh, states most of the states are are very very you know in their capacity for uh, handling data capacity for producing data and also sharing it is uh, has their capacity has to be really augmented you see central government is fine but unless that is augmented unless you know the, that rigor is put into uh this data collection and collation uh, and also the way it has to be scrutinized and uh, so so unfortunately what happens this remaining as a part of a, what you call statistics departments in the state they are at the lowest ebb of the entire hierarchy hmm. both in terms of the professional you know they uh, they are hardly you know the statisticians the professionals who are there uh they they that's the last place they would like to go mm. and as very rightly in the beginning we said that you know there are uh, private sector and others who are taking away uh, quite a we'll few of this that, yeah. yeah ramana you want to say something about this all i think there's also this resistance i mean rakesh started with that there is this inherent other than the capacity other than there is this also this uh, need to knowingly keep data in a state which is unshareable and the resistance to share you know this is not this is not an india specific problem it's not even a poor state problem yeah. you know uh, for many years uh, for instance take the united states they've had a law which yes, says that yes your karma bhumi you know, my karma bhumi <laughs> where you know it's basically uh, they had a law which said that hospitals had to report infection rates hmm. 
Now, what happened? Hospitals didn't want to show they had high infection rates, so they stopped collecting data on infections uh. because they could only they only had to report if they were collecting. Right. So this is a fundamental problem. Anytime you ask someone to report something, that is going to make them look bad. What are the solutions there? There are two solutions. We'll there. come to the censorship. This is really interesting. I'm not coming to censorship. Segue. I'm not coming to censorship. It's basically that you really have to. You can't. I, I think acts of omission of the science. I mean, where the lack of capacity is a significant issue here. But there is also obviously this this idea that if you're adversely affected by something, that you don't actually do mm -hmm. it. But let us not forget the fact that you can get around both of these with this democratization of data. That is the opportunity we're talking about. You no longer, governments are no longer the sole purveyors of ah. data. I think that is the big change that is happening so right now. So once the monopoly is broken. The monopoly then, has been broken yeah. already. I mean, it, it is already over. Mm. Uh, it, it just may be that, I'll give you one example. Four years ago, we published a paper in The Lancet which showed that the number of malaria deaths in this country was anywhere between 60 and 120,000. The government's official statistics was 1,200. They fought it, they argued against it, they wrote to The Lancet. Finally, they revised their estimates to 50,000, which is the lower end of our estimate. Now, the fact was that we could go out and do a proper study which showed that the number was very different from what the government was saying. I think we have a responsibility not just to go knock on government's door for data, which I think is the, alternate that is the previous century. Hmm. This century, we've got to go and say, look, this is what we're finding. And if you don't have a credible reason why what you're finding is different from my very credible what I'm finding, then perhaps you're wrong and I'm right. For our listeners, Lancet that Ramanan mentioned is the benchmark, the gold standard of medical uh, uh, of the peer review uh, paper journals. Yeah. And of course, British Medical Journal is another one. So if anything gets published, country governments generally, if this, it's not very congratulatory, the country governments do challenge it. And it's not just Indian country government. Claire, um, this has been a bit of an India-specific segment, but I'm sure there would be global perspectives that you can add to this. About Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think the last example in particular, you know, this is not just, um, obviously, there are examples outside of India, of very similar things happening. I was reminded of the um, Map Kibera project mm -hmm. in Kenya, where the citizens, um, you know, in Kibera, which is a big sort of sprawling informal settlement on the outskirts of Nairobi, um, you know, grown up very quickly. There was no mapping of for, facilities. For, for our listeners, it's the Dharavi of so Africa. And the, Sorry? I said for our listeners, Kibera is the Dharavi of Africa, the Dharavi slum of Africa. That's the biggest slum in, in, in India, in Mumbai. Exactly. In Asia. Um, exactly. And the citizens, you know, a, a civil society organization, um, you know, based in, very, based in Kibera, people living in Kibera, um, started to map the settlement and work out who was living there, um, how many children were living there, where people were living, what the facilities were, water, health services, and use this to put pressure on um, on the city authorities and on the central government, for example, to provide schools in in the slum. There had been there had been no school provision for any of the sort of thousands, tens of thousands of children who were living there, and they used their own information to put pressure on the authorities um, to provide school facilities for children there. So I think. You know, this this issue of people providing their own information is absolutely central. I mean, 
there is also the kind of additional question there, I think, once you start to get data from lots of different sources, the challenge then becomes the quality of that data, because we see, I mean, we saw this all the time, for example, during the, um, the general election last year in the UK of people conducting their own opinion polls on this or that or the other to prove whatever case they wanted to make, and in many cases, um, you know, the data is a very questionable quality and it doesn't really say what people want you know, a saying it says. Um, so I think absolutely all in favour of the sort of democratisation and opening up of the data collection, but then we have to pay much greater attention to the quality of that data and whether it really is saying, you know, the things that we think it's saying. Uh, Claire, it's interesting you're mentioning pollsters because if there's one country where pollsters get it absolutely wrong, and massively wrong it has been in India in the Bihar election and the one that got it right was never published. But as I, I also understand Nate Silver, the, the iconic bolster of the world, never really called the British elections. Anyway, let's quickly go to the next question which I'm really interested for Govind to respond. Something at the heart of journalism, very close to my heart also, India's gov Indian government's tendency to censor public service with inconvenient findings. In the last 12 years, we have seen the National Family Health Survey being discontinued for over a decade because, surprise, surprise, when India was shining, the uh, malnutrition rates also went up by over 10%. The Muslim chapter of the Poverty and Social Exclusion Report of the World Bank was blacked out and actually the World Bank wrote about blacking out of that chapter in its executive summary. The UNICEF uh, uh, Rapid Survey of Children report was also not released for more than 14 months because suppose, not allegedly, but actually Gujarat was doing pretty badly while the rest of India was doing pretty well. And um, some small mercies and credit, I have written about it. News Laundry has carried pieces about it, and Adam Roberts of Economist, after we published our pieces, uh, five weeks after that, actually leaked the entire data and wrote a brilliant stinging piece called of secrecy and stunting. We'll provide the link for that also. So the point is, these are fantastic kick-ass stories, Govind. Why aren't they getting the kind of attention from journalists? So censorship, the new form of censorship, the new avatar of inconvenient public service not being published or data being withheld. Why aren't they getting the kind of attention that they should from journalists? And what can be done about it? Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, I mean, I slightly sort of disagree there. I think uh, I think this has got attention. I mean, at least the last round which, uh, you know, the economists scooped and, uh, right. you know, everyone else was sort of chasing it after that. Uh, I think there is one is that there has to be awareness. I mean, which I, in my mind is still building, and we're still. I mean, largely, if you look at the, I mean, if you look at the entire sort of, like I said, the demand supply equation on data, I think we're still in the in in the in its infancy. Uh, the second thing is that this obviously has to be fought at the general and the specific level. The specific level is, let's say, if there is no uh, national health system data coming out, or there's a delay in the. Uh, so, uh, publishing the results of the survey or why th uh, the census has to be broken down into so many pieces, uh, uh, findings have to be broken down into so many pieces and released over so many years rather than doing it faster so that you can actually take real policy decisions. I think these are sort of general issues. I mean, maybe people who uh, f uh, run these surveys or run these uh, uh, run these uh, sort of uh, data collection exercises have reasons for them, but I think that's something that we have to fight at the at the general level. I think I would come back to uh, the fact that if, if we were generally conscious of the need for data, the role that data plays in a country like India or any, kind of, or any democracy, and if we start arguing for it and fighting for it, then it will come. 
uh, I, I just feel that while we're doing all we can and we're all uh, exercised about it, we're still, uh, unfortunately, at uh, still at an early stage of the game. Hmm. Rakesh, um, you want to say something yeah. about the censorship of public data and... Uh, Mm, I mean, Govind I obviously I sounds hopeful and I think that's a great thing. No, no, I, I do agree with Govind when he says we are still in the infancy and, you know, governments are, uh, like we always say, government did not realize that the RTI Act would be very powerful in 2005 and uh, they're, uh, you know, they're now eating humble pie. But I think even with data, I think the same thing will happen. Once they realize that uh, data is counterproductive, they might actually start uh, withholding more information. You know, the same thing happened with, for example, whole communal debate where NCRB was saying something, the Home Ministry was saying something else. So I think uh, while government starts realizing that, you know, the variance in their own data will, will hit them back hard, I'm sure more and more withholding will happen uh, if something that shows in bad light. So which is why I think the, the whole discussion about commissions, etc., if we truly believe that data should drive decisions, I think they also should be independent. You know, why you should know, they uh, be under uh, yeah. uh, yes, government yes, no, I think, see, uh, you know, the, I think the genie is out of the bottle. I mean, I don't think this is something that can go back now. Mm. You know, I mean, are we happy with the state of uh, progress or the pace of change? Obviously not. But that doesn't, I mean, but I don't think we are in a situation where, you know, tomorrow uh, governments or departments of the government or ministries can start saying, okay, from next year we won't do this survey or next year we will, you know, we're going to hold this back or, I mean, they may not say it, but they, I mean, they, they might actually do it. I think it's going to be very, very tough to do things like that, which are essentially regressive, because I think public at large is far more aware, the media specifically is far more aware, and there are people like us who didn't exist uh, even three to four years ago who are there now asking questions, and more people will as, as time passes. So I think, uh, to go back to, the, I mean, to, I mean, to what I said earlier, I think the genie, as far as this is concerned, is out of the bottle, is now about trying to say, how can we all work together, fight the battles that we have to fight, and then get the... Uh, data out in the manner that we want it so that it serves the purpose of uh, making this country a better place. Claire, you have anything to add? I, I mean, I very much agree. I think you know, no government or company or even civil society organization is going to want to release or make available data that presents it in a bad light. But then, you know, we have all kinds of examples in history of all of the governments and any other kind of institution being forced to do things that it didn't really want to do by public pressure. So I think definitely kind of history is on our side on this, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will be easy. And for our listeners, the fact that in the last three years, like Govind is saying, the amount of debate that is happening uh, and, and counter question that is happening every time the poverty data is released and we've got hordes of journalists actually going to buy food to cross-examine if the poverty line is actually a real line or is it a hypothetical paper line? Is it at all speaking to the living realities of us, of our everyday lives? I think that itself is a fantastic way forward. Ramanan. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to add on this to say that I am unfortunately not as hopeful as, say, Govind is on this. Because very easily, if that data had not been leaked, we would be sitting here just as blind about what is happening on nutrition as was the case. Yeah. So I think... Uh, uh, you know, the, there is only one real solution here, which is that we need to have a serious debate about the government actually owning all of those kinds of surveys and it being entirely in that domain. I'm not necessarily sure that this is a, uh, you know, government is not monolithic. It is not like one person decides, well, we won't put out any data. It is a series of bunch of bureaucrats who basically don't want to be the one who puts themselves on the line 
by putting out information that is likely to be seen negatively by the prime minister's office or someone else. So it's a perception that they would put their neck on the line. But that said, the census is an example where it is mandated, it has to be done in a particular way, and there's a regularity about it. And we need to have that regularity with some set of data, which is then not malleable to you know one person's preferences. It then automatically goes online and everyone has access to it. And I think that is the next phase of what the RTI stuff should really be about, which is we really need to have a law which both provides for that independence in the same way that the Reserve Bank might have independence, but also has that data being shared online so that interpretation is not uh, left to the government. It is, it is then open to everyone else to do. I think we have quite a distance to go on that. Uh, and yes, Dr. Yeah, Landa. I would, I would agree and I would add to that in the context of India, with its federal system, and with with its you know the the the, the varieties of data uh, needs, the, it is high time that uh, these there is a commission, yeah. just like the autonomous election commission, right. which is constitutionally mandated. Right. And I have been I have been personally been sort of pleading for this mm -hmm. that it has to be a commission of that type mm -hmm. where you have representatives of different stakeholders, including right. government, mm -hmm. and civil society, and data users, data other data producers, apart from the government data producers, to be part of that commission. Right. And this could work very well, because there will be con continuous interaction and exchange of views on a, a level which will ensure quality, which will ensure that there are all their difficulties that each one faces, including the constraint of resources, that could also be discussed and could be pulled together. Right. I think something like that is absolutely necessary considering the data revolution and the necessity of what for things like SDG and right. other goals. Right. Thank right. you. Uh, for our listeners, Burton Russell, mathematician, philosopher, said that there's no uh, lie so arrant which cannot be made the truth of the majority by adequate governmental action, public action. And I think uh, if governments start using data for as public relations documents and pamphlets, I think that's the, that's the danger that Ramanan is highlighting, that unless and until we call out every time there's this tendency of governments to use uh, data and censuses and service as PR documents, uh, it'll become the truth of the majority by adequate governmental action. Um, finally, last. How do we, what is the road forward? How do we make, um, how do citizens claim data as a public good? What is the, at stake here for the citizens and all this democratization? How do we go forward? Uh, Govin, closing remarks? No, I think, uh, you know, I'll... I, or I, I call mean, to action, actually call to action. Call to action, yeah. No, I think I'll go back to, you know, I think Ramanan was talking about, uh, you know, some of the challenges ahead in uh, collecting data and from whom and, you know, whether we have access to it and so on. I think, see, you know, just uh, about a month and a half ago, we've launched our own network of air quality monitoring stations in Delhi and Bombay to start with, and we're going to take it to other cities. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got 19 monitoring stations in Delhi which are monitoring... Uh, I believe News Laundry Office also has one of your monitors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can see it. If you're, whoever is there can actually go and see it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so the thing is, I mean, uh, I mean, it's actually going to create a different problem, right? Because we are collecting data, and uh, our data points sometimes may uh, or vary from what, let's say, the government is collecting. 
So actually, you may you'll have a situation where, and as more people get involved in issues that affect us closely, like whether it's air or water or maybe uh, electricity, uh, and, uh, and 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 any, any I mean all the four or five things that we really sort of need to live our daily lives. Uh, and, and as we start collecting our own data points, then, you know, I think the challenge is going to be who do you believe, and I think that came up as well. But I think the good news is that, uh, you know, people who put the effort, uh, use technology, which is so easy, I mean, which obviously has made this whole thing so easy and accessible, or relatively easy and accessible, I think the data debate will shift. Uh, I think where, uh, like PFHI was saying, I mean, you know, where the government is not doing something, uh, they will go ahead and do their own surveys, they will go and sort of, uh, uh, sort of put out their own findings. The government will be forced to respond. Similarly, in air quality, uh, you know, I mean, just being an example, uh, uh, the work that we're doing is obviously going to make people uh, 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 sort of look at our data and then start comparing and so on. But the good news is that, as I see it at the end of the day, that uh, people are getting involved in asking data-led questions rather than, you know, uh, questions which are led by emotion. Oh, why is Delhi air so poor? Oh, uh, the Congress government was responsible for for it. AAP was uh, uh, responsible for it, or BJP is responsible. I mean, I mean, rather than sort of the uh, you know the the conversation which goes nowhere, I think people are at least saying, okay, now let me understand what times of the day is uh, pollution bad. Is it vehicular pollution versus uh, pollution from your uh, power generation plants versus fires burning in Punjab? So I, as I see it, the debate, the quality of the debate uh, has become far uh, sharper and far more. Uh, uh, productive than perhaps ever before. Now, whether, will it happen in the same way for everything else? I don't know. But I think, I, I for one, feel that we are surely headed in that direction. Rakesh? Rak uh, yeah. Well, what I believe is, I think, uh, you know, a second revolution of RTA is required. While we talk about data at a, at a very national level, uh, it can only impact daily life of people at, at, at only one level. So, for example, you know, if we are to, though there is a proactive disclosure norm in the Right Information Act, which the way it is being implemented, it's, it's of no use. So I think what needs to happen in, in the whole data space is, is, you know, government needs to mandate at each level, both state and central governments, that uh, village as a unit, ward as a unit, a lot of data that could be useful to them. Only then I think real governance changes will happen at that grassroots level. While debates, public discourse will improve with the national level data, I think if, if you want to re see real governance change, I think data has to go at that level. And it has to be mandated that at regular intervals, be it quarterly, be it half yearly, I think it has to be mandated that certain sets of data should be released at that level. Um, and that is what Civicus actually calls uh, searching for people power in politics in this whole data revolution, going from development information to uh, data revolution. Dr. Nanda, call to action or way forward? Yeah, I, as I have already said, we need to have a commission. commission which is not government's commission. It will be mandated under the law or constitution, but this will have the mandate. And then the various types of laws that are there, like Census Law Act, Act, which mandates that you know census has to take place. Similarly, for other type of surveys and studies, it has to be mandated in addition to you know the type of sort of commission which is just not a commission of statisticians. It has to be a commission of different type of people together who could uh, interact regularly. There will be consultation with civil society, data users, and then it can effectively function and it will be responsible to the maybe parliament or something, you know, under the, under the law. So, so something, something like election commission 
type of thing is needed. That is something very much needed and resources would naturally come in its way once it is done. Ramanand? So I'll just make three points. One is to emphasize what uh, uh, Mr. Nanda just said, which is to have this independence of, of data and, uh, and it being a public-private sort of a partnership. You know, last year we had, a, two years ago we had the Hangama survey, which is a private nutrition survey. Uh, clearly not ideal to have it that way, but also not ideal to have a UNICEF survey being, being uh, you know, uh, uh, hidden uh, from, from public view. The second is I think uh, we cannot just be seekers of information from government. We really have to be producers of information as well. And, uh, you know, this is like other research. Yeah, the quality of, of what we produce also has names attached to it and reputations attached to it, and therefore... Uh, credible institutions, which are not necessarily government institutions, will have to get into that business in order to at least challenge what might not, not necessarily be credible information coming out from government. Uh, I think the third is that this is the big data democratization idea, which is that there are many sources of data now. Uh, you know, uh, people use uh, Twitter feeds to look at when the flu season starts uh, in various parts of the world. Uh, there are ways in which you can look at social media feeds. There's ways in which you can uh, you know, look at market scan data to see what people are purchasing and look at nutrition indicators from there. So I think the uh, looking at traditional surveys, although important, but as the only source of where we would get our information is probably outdated. And we have many other opportunities that we can think about creatively and we need to, uh, we need to do a better job of it, uh, both in this country as well as globally, of course. Claire? to a kind of much messier world of data, but a very exciting one. I mean, maybe from a world where data is something which is kind of handed down by experts to a small number of people who care about it and have the ability to use it, to, to one which is much more about collaboration, you know, about different data sources, as, you know, just being said. Um, you know, where, for example, a government can monitor poverty rates in real time using not their own data from surveys, but data from mobile phone companies about how much people are spending on their mobile phone top-ups and the extent to which that is a proxy for poverty rates, for example. So I think we're moving to a world of much more collaboration between data producers to try to bring together some of what's happening already and some new stuff and see what we can do much that can be used to measure more things, measure them faster and measure them much more accurately. And obviously, you know, as we've been hearing all kinds of examples of today, some a world where data is much more widely used, more and more people are caring about this, are demanding it, are using it in different ways. Companies are understanding how data can be used, you know, to really kind of enhance their own activities, their profitability and so on. Governments, government departments, right down to the local level, are understanding how essential that is for their own activities and of course critically citizens and customers are using data to hold all of those powerful institutions to account. So I think we're kind of moving towards a much more collaborative, a much messier world of data, and one in which there's a kind of paradox, I think, developing, that actually the data that we have now is, there's much more of it, and it's much better quality in many cases, they're not all, than the data we've had in the past. But because we want more, it feels almost sometimes like we have less because the demand for data is outstripping, in some cases, the supply. So I think we have much more collaboration, 
much stronger demand for data, which is leading to um, a much better, a much more realistic view about data, both about the excitement of what it can do, but also about the limitations of what it can tell us and what we can know in that way. And that was our attempt to make sense of the data revolution in the era of censorship. This is probably one of the best panels that we could line up, and I've learned a lot myself. Having said that, thank you very much for taking time out. In the next episode, we'll be looking back at how the media, journalism, covered the, these global summits and these issues that we've been covering for the last six months, the hits and the misses. Because News Laundry is a media watch platform and also because this collaboration on global summits was a response to the inadequate coverage of these issues in the mainstream media. Like Govin just said, um, India Spend is a response to um, the lack of data journalism when before it started or factly making sense of public data. We'll have a kick-ass panel for that, so please stay tuned. We would like to thank our collaborator, Save the Children India, a leading nonprofit dedicated to the agenda of children for their support in bringing this episode to you. This is part of the Campaign Action 2015 for Just Deals and a Just World Order for Us All. A big shout out to Karthik Nijhavan from Team News Laundry for producing this episode. Thank you, Karthik. And all the references, readings of this episode will be available on the Global Summits page of News Laundry website. So if you are listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes, then you need to check the web page for the readings. And everything which has been said is, it does have a citation. Please write to us, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and support independent media so that you can decide where we're going. And so that you can also break the barriers of censorship and claim media and data. This is Birat Swain signing off for Global Summits. Catch all new episodes of Global Summits Where Are We Going on newslaundry.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook.